Hello and welcome to the crazy world of Absolute Bedlam podcast. My name is Ben and I interview people from all around the world, from all walks of life, about interesting topics such as being an actor, musician, personal trainer, video game developer, you name it, I've probably had a chat with them. So my main background is music but I'm looking to get basically anyone from YouTube, Twitch, you name it, put them in touch with me and I'll have a chat, like I say. Um, Recently done a flurry of veteran episodes, so if you want to check that out, that's a slightly different thing called Tales from the Trenches with my friend and editor, John Belfield. But enough of that, I'm here to just introduce the episodes and just say, if anyone wants to help me out by donating to Kofi, which is a donation service which is available at www.kofi, which is ko-fi.com forward slash Absolute Bedlam Podcast. If you go to that website, you'll be able to donate a minimum of £3 to me. You can donate what you want and you can also set recurring payments, but I don't, you know, if you want to, then that's fair enough. But, you know, just do what you can, if you can, that sort of thing. Um, donations really, really help me out because this takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of energy, especially when I'm sorting out US people to podcast with and interview, etc. So every little helps really, really genuinely. It means I can really put some time into this and really like make it as good as I can possibly get. Um, I'm currently on the lookout for a webcam, as I've mentioned several times now, um, and that's a £70 product. So all of the donations that come from this Ko-Fi, Ko-Fi, will go towards that £70 webcam. Um, I don't like asking people for money, but if you're enjoying the episodes, say you've listened to more than two or three episodes the whole way through and you're enjoying it and you like what you hear, then a donation would massively be appreciated. Um, right, I'm going to stop waffling and I'm going to let you enjoy the episode. But yeah, cheers, guys. Keep it bedlam, and I'll speak to you all soon. Take care, bye. All right. Got it. Hello, and welcome to Absolute Bedlam Podcast. I've managed to secure Billy Sheehan, everyone. This is next level. (laughs) Thank you so much for your time, Billy. I really do appreciate it. My pleasure. Or as I say in Japan, my pressure. That's the one. Fantastic. So it's Sheehan, incidentally, not Sheehan. So it's okay. Sorry, sorry. Everybody does it, especially yeah. down here in, in Nashville. Billy Sheehan. That's it. Brilliant. So tonight on the show, we have the incredibly talented and the most humble bass playing virtuoso you will ever meet, in my opinion, because well, I've that's... watched a lot of your interviews and you are incredibly good at downplaying your talent. That's because I suck. <laughs> <laughs> even no, on my see to me yeah i got a different point of view uh i'm i i'm concentrating on the things i can't do or things got to improve yeah continually so you know it's hard for me you know i in yeah. life you climb a mountain and then the next thing you should do is look at the next mountain yeah not, yeah not stand mm-hmm. on the top of the one you're on and do the, yeah. do the victory dance it's time to go on so yeah it, it is it is a constant uh yeah and glorious struggle to uh, improve, learn more, mm-hmm. uh, go deeper, understand more about this thing, you know. And Absolutely. So it, it, uh, I think uh, 
I, I, you know, I don't know about humility, but I think people that don't have it just aren't looking mm-hmm. enough at what really the big picture is because there's a famous old saying, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And that's that's very true in this case, I believe. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, your premier guitar rig rundowns and your um, your rock mania interview that I listened to a few days ago. You're just um, you're constantly looking for that next continuous improvement sort of, you know, yeah, as, as I was waiting for this, I'm, I was working on a whole new thing. So uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out and, and failing at it miserably. And then halfway through, it started to come together. Yeah. So first time I ever heard anything that you'd ever done was well, I've just mentioned to you pre-recording was live at the Astoria, Steve Vai. Oh, wow. That was when my guitar teacher basically gave me a ton of DVDs. He gave me um, Joe Satriani live in San Francisco. He gave me a Yungui Malmsteam um, DVD of some description. I can't remember which one it was. And he gave me live at the Astoria and he said, this is everything that you'll need to know about guitar. Go away and come back when you are a bit more enlightened. Oh, man. And um, yeah, that wasn't a very easy (laughs) thing to pick up. So I um, tried my best to be those guitarists and I ended up settling on bass and trying to master some of your stuff. So um, that was my first foray into instrumental music, really. I think bass is a cooler instrument than guitar. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, I'll, catch, I'll catch a lot of trouble for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's funny, anytime they, in a movie or, I know on The Simpsons, they did an episode one time where Grandpa Simpson was cool. And anytime anything is cool, you hear a bass playing. Yeah, Just yeah. imitate what coolness is, you know. <laughs> Love so, uh, I'll yeah, take yeah. some solace in that. Though the guitar players get all the glory, we know that. That's it. So last thing I want to mention before we actually get started is I woke up on Monday morning and I said to my girlfriend out loud, I was still dreaming. Right. So this guy was in Talus, UFO, David Lee Roth and Steve Vai. I said that out loud because I was obviously dreaming of this interview, (laughs) which is just nuts. I uh, hope I haven't inflicted too much uh, emotional no, that's right. carnage here. I, it's, don't worry about it. That's We're right. all friends I, here. We're all in this together. I go into a bit of tunnel vision when I've um, got a guest of your caliber on. So yeah, you're, you're too kind. Don't good. worry about it. We're, we're, all, we're all in this together, as I said. Fantastic. So at the beginning of the interviews, I want to know from a musician's point of view, did you know that you always wanted to play music? No. Uh, it was uh, always a big thing around me. I had older brothers and sisters, so they were into music that was ahead of me and my age group. I'm an old man. So uh, they were listening to the Everly Brothers and Jerry Lee Lewis and the Beach Boys and things. This was pre-Beatles. And my mom was a big fan of Sinatra, Tony Bennett, uh, Ella Fitzgerald, Bobby Darin, a lot of great singers. So I was always around that. So I always loved it, but I didn't, it didn't put two and two together that maybe I could do that. Mm, and then yeah. uh, around the corner from my house was the, were the Hesse brothers. Joe Hesse was a dear, Joe and Jim Hesse, dear friends of mine. And Joe was a bass player. So I'd hear them practicing and it started to get a little bit more intrigued. And then uh, my sister caught the bug to get a guitar and be a folk singer. Uh, and she, lost interest in that. So I would sneak into her room and take her guitar and figure out songs. And uh, and then eventually it led to the concept that I could do this. But then the Beatles played on Ed Sullivan and everybody 
thought, I, I want to do that. That's my that's that's my calling. We saw we all saw the girls screaming with that. That's that's <laughs> my that's my job. So from that on, it was became a passion. I had other passions in life. I was a big science buff. Mm. I was had uh, I was into paleontology and astronomy, biology, uh, microscopy, uh, a lot of uh, uh, chemistry, a lot of things. As a, as a very young kid, uh, and so uh, that was a big interest to me. And I also, for a while, was quite a fishing and, and hunting fanatic. But uh, uh, but music was the thing that was really catching my uh, interest. Very very young, and that, so I started off. And once I began and saw that I could actually begin to do something, pick up an instrument and make it sound, make play that song that I heard on the radio, mm-hmm. even though it was rudimentary cowboy chords, basic. Yeah. Just, okay, I can, I might be able to do this. So, mm-hmm. but I wanted to play bass from the beginning because Joe, my neighbor played bass. And so finally I managed to secure a bass and there I was. <laughs> Always resourceful. That's a free thread of your life, I think, is uh, <laughs> just finding that next step to go. Um, the next question I've got for you is, do you consider yourself naturally talented or do you find yourself just grinding and forcing your sort of brute force? Like I'm going to stay up all night and learn this song before I go to sleep sort of thing. Well, I never considered that I had any natural talent. It wasn't, I didn't pick it up and, it, and have a go of it. I, I, right away I needed to, but one thing I'm good at, and I, I, I really, uh, self-aggrandize and I'm not now but I'm just pointing it out I'm a good troubleshooter I can look at something and see there's something that needs to be done how do you do it mm. there's a whole, all these strings and frets so yeah. all these notes are in there yeah so the thing you hear that uh, Bach of Brandenburg concerto all those notes are in here so yeah. figure it out yeah and, uh, that was basically it so I never really it never really came naturally to me at all yeah I think I have I I, I believe I have a pretty good ear for hearing things and recognizing sonic things. Uh, we used to play uh, Stump the Band back when CDs first came out. We get a CD rotating, five CD uh, changer, and randomly hit the songs. And uh, whoever could guess the song first would be the winner. We're, we're close to having a few beers at the same time. Back yeah. in the uh, uh, late 80s, this was. Yeah. And uh, were some some amazing moments at that. I didn't do this one, but I was, this guy was, I was close to his skill level. They clicked the, the they clicked play and Donovan's mellow yellow came on. We didn't know, but it starts with a hi-hat going. Yeah. He got it on the second click. Donovan mellow yellow before any music started. So you begin to recognize sonic things. Like when I hear a, a song that's like a different mix or a different take uh, yeah. right away it, it especially something i know really well i know mm-hmm. that's that's not what i what i heard before so i think that was uh maybe not not an ability or skill but an inborn advantage that i might have had that sonically i recognize yeah. things right away and i'm sure that helped my ear later on when i would recognize that's a that's definitely a wrong note mm. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that. a helpful thing to have yeah, I used to be a bit of a binge watcher of Scott's bass lessons on YouTube, and he had a bassist yeah. on. I can't remember who it was, but he said something along the lines of, we've all got access to these notes. We just choose not to play them in this order. There isn't you know, a cheat code necessarily for bass. It's just I've chosen to go E, F, G, B, not E, F, G, C, 
that sort of thing, isn't it? And it's just yeah, it's um, I, I'm somewhat of a pattern player, so there's patterns to those scales, and patterns to the major, of course, the relative minor, uh, harmonic, uh, uh, harmonic minor scale, everything. I, I don't know. I don't know a lot of music terminology. Mm, yeah, but I, 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 I do understand patterns and i always say to people i'm doing like my master class with us so you got three assets your eyes your ears and your hands mm. so your hands by their memory will say will not go to that note because it's not in the right pattern so they'll kind of automatically go to the right one once you train them to do so your ears will tell you if that's not the right note and you can see the patterns as well so you got those three assets there and i uh, tried to take advantage of those three and uh balance them all out to the point where I can play something. Yeah, I found, fair enough. Awesome. So I've got a fan question straight out the gate. All right. The whole Mr. Big using a Makita drill as a guitar pick thing in Daddy, Brother, Lover, Little Boy. I'm so glad that I said that in the right order because I'm panicking about saying that in the wrong order all day. Um, was that Mr. Gilbert's idea or was that a combined sort of band effort joint decision paul did it first uh he had a in the band before uh, mr big his singer said uh, man you're playing so fast the only way you can play faster is get a drill put picks at the end of it so he did yeah and it turns out he is faster than the drill yeah yeah and a lot of times we've done shows where we didn't have the drills with us and we had to you know yeah <laughs> So you can you can do it without the drill. Fantastic. But, uh, we uh, had used it. Uh, he used it in a solo uh, prior to the Lean Into It album. Then we got in the studio for that. We we had this song we were working on, Daddy Brother Love a Little Boy. And uh, yeah. uh, so what we do? What do we do? A, a drill solo. And I'm not sure if it was my request or suggestion or Paul's request or suggestion or the producers or so we well, should maybe do, do it in harmony bass and guitar okay so we figured configure two Makita drills and it was a special kind of drill because now when you let go of the trigger mm. on the drill the drill stops yeah electronically that motor stops just as a safety device before you let go and it would continue going until it ran out of inertia yeah uh so we did the double drill thing and we did it fully and only as comedy it was meant to be a joke it was meant to be a goof and a joke and sadly some people got way too serious on it. oh we're gonna we're gonna get egg beaters well we'll show them we're gonna get a chainsaw <laughs> we hate those guys you know as always everybody calm down it was just a joke you know yeah, so yeah. we I mean, uh, but we 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 uh managed to become uh uh connected with the makita Bartol company and they they sponsored a tour very very handsomely for us as a result and also gave us a bunch of free tools at the end which uh, me as a home handyman now in my house i I have a couple of great drills and angle grinders and even a Makita generator in case of emergency. So okay. it's all good. It's worth doing, isn't it? I bet you, yeah, I bet you still use them now, don't you? Cause I know how, uh, you yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's perfect. I love that. So that was asked by Dan Lee, who is the right, singer Dan. of a band called new device. So hello, Dan, how's it going? Got another guest question. Um, Andy from Adele, from Andy and Adele on Twitch. He's a big fan of your playing. Wonderful. He wants to know if bass playing primarily is about timing or knowledge and what is more important to you? Uh, well, you cannot know much at all, but if your timing is good, you're doing okay. Hmm. 
you can know everything there is. And if your timing is bad, you're not in good shape. So I think that would be the uh, equation to, to determine the validity of one or the other. Yeah. Uh, because bass, basically, one thing I love about bass is bass can be super simple. Mm -hmm. Sit there and play a single note and get through a lot of songs like that, a lot of parts of a lot of songs before you ever even have to move anywhere. So uh, your timing is essential and bass and drums are that thing that go together that creates a foundation. And so your timing, you've got to be synced up with the drummer. Yeah. And I play with drummers with shaky time and it's agonizing mm. because uh, you, you, you're not sure where they're going. And But then I've been lucky to play with a string of amazing drummers. And uh, it is an absolute joy to work with someone because you are now on the same level, yeah. the yeah. same mind. ESP mm. happens. Yeah. The drummer does a move and you do the exact same move yeah. rhythmically on bass. And you look at each other. Mm. Well, why is that? It was Mike Portnoy's birthday yesterday, and I posted yeah, yeah. how much I love our ESP, yeah. which is a kind of a thing that happens with every drummer I, I work with, where you watch each other, and one guy will make a move, and the other guy will do the exact same thing at the exact same time, yeah. unrehearsed, unknown. Yeah. And it's, it's a wonderful thing, because you come up, it's just mm -hmm. kind of a magical thing. But uh, yeah. yeah, bass is easy to start, and that's a good thing. It's a mm -hmm. great uh, gateway to all of music, because you're just holding one note down generally. That's an oversimplification, of course, we know. But generally, most bass playing is pretty easy. So if you get your timing right, and you can come up, uh, I always use one of my favorite bands in the whole world, ACDC is a great example. And their bass player is awesome. He doesn't have to play a lot of notes, but man, those songs are great. And it's a great way, because it's such a great album to sit down and play along with that, with Back in Black or, or uh, Highway to Hell. Yeah. Uh, just, just great, great, great records, and and and, and that's that's how, that opens the door. Yeah, and eventually you get to the Mahavishnu Orchestra or mm. Return of Forever or or yeah. the Brandenburg Concertos or whatever yeah. else you want, Absolutely. <laughs> or uh, or stick with ACDC if you're smart. Yeah, I think the song "Shot Down in Flames" has like four notes, and it's yeah. just the bassist I can't remember his name is just playing D. He's just playing the fifth fret on the A string for about a minute straight, just plucking yeah. away. Yeah, amazing. Is that Cliff Williams? Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, yeah great player. Okay. Just great player. I, I, I don't know him. I, I, I hope he would understand how much I absolutely love his playing. Because a lot of people think, oh, he would only want some jazz fusion guys. I, yeah, actually, yeah. No, I'm not that much into that. Mm. I'm way more into ACDC yeah, yeah. Uh, personally. But I, I do like uh, many forms of music. Fantastic. So this is just a question from me. So I've been listening to a bit of Talus, a bit of David Lee Roth. And like I said, I've been binge watching Astoria every moment I get, basically. So mm -hmm. I found Talus to be a very efficient, lean band. And you talk about in some of your interviews when you're a free piece, you were a power free piece. You'd yeah. rather get that extra $25 than hiring a fourth member because it was all about grinding and filling up your gas tank at the end of the day, wasn't it? So where did some this... Group. Where did this resourceful, scrappy state of mind originate for you, Billy? Well, we uh, were lucky to be of a generation to come up playing in clubs. And I'm not comparing myself to any of these bands, but that's what Van Halen did. That's what ACDC did. That's what the Beatles did. That's what the Stones did. That's what every iconic band that went on to live for 30, 40, 50 years on as a career, uh, they all slugged it out 
playing in clubs in front of an often indifferent audience where you had to become an entertainer to keep them engaged. And you had to learn a million songs in order to uh, keep the, the people interested. We'd go out and talk to the people at the clubs and what, what songs do you listen to? Well, that new Robin Trower song. So next week we come back with Day of the Eagle and uh, <laughs> a little bit of sympathy and whatever, you know, just try to keep up with things. So that was, uh, we played uh, 21 Nights in a Row was our record. We did three complete shows in one day, uh, morning, uh, afternoon, and evening, uh, where we set up, do our whole show, tear down, next one, three in one day. Mm -hmm. So uh, those days were uh, about the efficiency of getting in and getting the job done. So I never sang, and when I first got together with the guys that I, I one of the incarnations of Talos, um, you know, they'd be saying, okay, the, the third part harmony, uh, Billy, you sing this. And I go, well, wait, I, I don't sing. You go, no, just sing it, sing it. Yeah. Okay. And I, you know, I, I fortunately I could croak out the correct pitch. Yeah. Uh, so it was okay. And in harmony vocals, you don't necessarily have to be a lead mm. stylized vocalist. You kind of have to just hit, get those notes righteously yeah. in pitch and in time. And, and so yeah. that, so, so three guys singing three part harmony, guitar, bass, drums. And we had a lot of, uh, songs that were really adventurous with instrumentation uh like uh, carry on wayward son by uh kansas mm -hmm. keyboards violin vocalists you know guitar i don't know how many people were in the band but uh, a lot of keyboard extra things i would end up doing on bass yeah little parts just to make up for not having to haul a hammond b3 around which is a monstrous <laughs> endeavor uh yeah. so so that uh, idea of getting in there getting the job done have everybody do as much as they possibly can mm. singing playing harmony there's a harmony lead guitar part i do the harmony on bass later on i get pedals taurus pedals or whatever to hold the low note down while i did that so you wouldn't lose the low frequency my bass is set up the dual output a low output and a regular output yeah. so that low end never goes away even though I'm doing some nonsense up here. Mm -hmm. So it was all kind of built around the efficiency of getting in, getting on stage, getting it working, have a great night, the crowd loves it, they go home and they come back the next mm -hmm. show and you start making money and you start selling all clubs and, and you get a little bit more. And uh, on top of it, it was a riot. Yeah. I mean, we weren't, you know, hauling bricks around or you mm. know, <laughs> installing air conditioning, which is yeah. a certainly a, a fine uh, 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 job to, to do. And where would we be without you? But nevertheless, yeah. it, was, it was it was fun. There was it was uh, there were certainly challenges, and it was physically demanding. Mm. I mean, get up there and be completely out of breath after running across the stage and get to the mic and hit those harmonies. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, we ran a marathon at every show and yeah. it was, it was a lot of work, but, uh, mm. that I, I do wish that, uh, generation that's happening now had the opportunity to get up on, on deck on stage and do what they do now. Cause I see a lot of great players, but we also knew back in the day, a great player may not work on stage at all. It yeah. doesn't doesn't always translate at all yeah I, got uh, that. Yeah. I see that even now like i'll work out some crazy wild shenanigans and get on stage and <laughs> nope not tonight maybe yeah. maybe uh, maybe a month in i'll get it but translating I, from I, sitting down and figuring something out to doing it on stage some people can but i, I never yeah, could most they. people don't so that we were it was a blessing in disguise to be slugging it out in the clubs 
Yeah. And uh, it, it helped us in so many ways. Also, as far as public relations and dealing with an audience, mm. we didn't have a dressing room back in the day. So we'd step off the front of the stage mm -hmm. and just walk out into the crowd and hang out with people, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like it is now where people jammed up the stage and be a show. It was a club and people were meandering around. There's a little dance floor. We get down, step up. Hey, how you doing? Sit down at a table with some people. We knew most everybody in the whole club. Yeah. So, you know, we would, we would engage them. We wouldn't run away from them and be yeah. rock stars. We were, we're all in the same boat, you know? So that mentality mm. uh, later on translated to, uh, I think, I believe what I have is a very good uh, relationship with, so many people that have come to see my shows and uh, traveled around to see what I do and see bands I play with. So I'm supremely lucky to have uh, uh, hundreds of friends all over the world as a result of that. Yeah. So it's a good thing and you can put your thumb yeah. on the pulse of what's going on by, by speaking with them. Yeah. yeah, I don't know, that, that, that new song, it, it didn't seem, uh, well, okay, you know, let's, let's go. Maybe yeah. work on it a little bit. Not that yeah, you pander yeah. to them, but yeah. nevertheless, it's good to have a, a critical voice once in a while. I yeah. mean, you, you can tell by the volume of your applause sometimes whether you're hitting the mark or not. That's always yeah. a good thing. Yeah, it's not a case of like throwing your toys out the pram and saying, right, we're not going to play that song ever again. It's just go back into the studio and try and yeah. figure out how you can make it better next time you play that club and stuff like that. Well, and, there's fine tuning to yeah. songwriting. I, I did a seminar mm. last weekend. Uh, uh, Desmond Childs was the main writer. He wrote tons of things for Aerosmith. He wrote Living La Vida Loca. He's one of the most successful songwriters in the world right now. And I've worked with him a little bit before, but my, the title of my seminar was Fine Tuning Your Songs. So, so, so people think a lot of times when they're writing, they get done with it and that's it. That's the song. If it's not good, no, 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 take it apart and change it. Put, yeah. The chorus is good. Let's put that in another song. You know, yeah, all yeah. kinds of things can be done. Absolutely. So uh, yeah. that's an important thing. And I'm talking too much. I'm sorry. No, that's all right. No, it's fine. <laughs> you can't talk too much. Trust me. I'm a massive fan. It's fine. Um, I think that whole business thing, though, of actually integrating yourself with the crowd and handing out business cards after your gig and networking with people and the person at the show might know someone who's about to get married. And yeah. that could be a gig for you. And back in the day, that was so a important thing. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's so important even now. Like obviously, we're surrounded by Facebook and social media and stuff like that. But there's nothing like talking to people face to face. Yeah, come come yeah. to your gig. I, every, and I, I often say this, and uh, it, it is it is true of everyone in in my business. I don't know if everyone realizes it though. But everything I have, my home, my every instrument, yeah. everything I have. Uh, comes comes from a, a fan buying a T-shirt, a ticket, or 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 music. So, so they, uh, to me, they're important. Mm -hmm. uh, interesting. I got a, a message the other day from someone who was kind of irate that some fans were berating an artist because he wasn't giving them something for free. And I said, well, I agree with him. I don't do it that way, but I agree with him because once you once you you bought your ticket to the show, you got the show. We're even. That's that's it. And if I if I choose to get on the bus and go to the next city and do the next show, that's 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 it. Yeah. Um, for me, I choose to hang out, say mm -hmm. hello to people. Uh, there's something that's a paid meet and greet, which I don't like, but I, I got that. Meet. Yeah, I got that. Yeah. But I always tell people, hey, if you can't afford it, I'm going to be out by the bus afterwards. So yeah, yeah. Camera, come on. And I hang out. I remember in Germany uh, a couple of tours ago with some band, maybe Mr. Big. 
it was cold and it was raining and there was no place for anybody to go. So I just went out there, put my hat on and the Sharpies kept dying because as soon as the Sharpie gets wet, it doesn't work anymore. So we went through about 40 Sharpies and I signed everything, but we had a riot. It was great. Yeah. We were wonderful people. And it's it, fantastic. It, that was cool. Yeah. I dug that. Love that. Brilliant. So what was the point in your life slash career, or you might not even be there yet because you're so humble, <laughs> um, where you thought to yourself, okay, things are now moving in the right direction. And I think that I can actually make this viable as a career. Um, yeah. And I can now make more risks, if that makes sense, because I've kind of cemented myself as a fundamental musician. Well, uh, I've always been a risk taker as a player. Mm. I got away with it by luck, I think. Uh, a dear friend of mine, Jeff Berlin, a great bass player, says that a lot of a lot of people can get away from with all those kinds of crazy nonsense because they can do it. And I, I, I agree with him at that point. But you have to be really careful to not go so far as to lose sensibility and, you know, playing oddball, wacky, crazy note configurations that nobody gets, you know, it's a, there's a, there's a, there's a line between that. But I think, um, uh, there were a couple of notable moments when I, uh, in 1985, David Lee Roth called me and uh, flew me out to uh, LA to start a band with me. And, uh, you know, we went through, there's a lot more to that, of course, but about eight or nine months later, we're rehearsing the show that we're going to go out on the Eat Him Smile tour. And I'd worked with Dave for almost a full year there in the studio, writing all kinds of stuff at all, all kinds of, you know, we've been hanging out for a straight year and I'm on stage and we're playing and we're doing, I'm on fire by Van Halen. That's going to be in the set. And I'm, I'm playing and singing at the mic and singing the harmony part. And Dave comes over to me and we're singing together. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, that's David Lee Roth. <laughs> Hold yeah. on. I, I'm in the band. This is a, you know, cause yeah, it's yeah. just a whirlwind of things prior to that. You don't really have a moment yeah. to see that. And that was a, an amazing moment. And then we went, um, we were on The Tonight Show, which uh, is an American TV show. Up until recent years or recent decades, it was the place everybody watched every night. It was the thing. And every president and Oscar winner and royalty and uh, the most famous uh, people in the world sat in that chair and got interviewed by all the hosts through the years that, that were hosting it. And the first time uh, uh, I remember I called my my mom and would say to her, hey, mom, Mr. Big, we got a number one single. She'd be like, no, that's nice. <laughs> mom, the, the record has gone platinum. I go, oh, that's very good. I'm very glad for you boys. You know, mom, MTV, number one video. Great. That's, that's good. I go, mom, I got to be on the Tonight Show. What? You're yeah, kidding me. Okay. You know, that was the thing everybody would define. Uh, yeah, success yeah. And so the first time we were on, uh, we just, not everyone got to sit in the chair. First time we were on, we played our thing, the curtain came down, shook the guy's hand, thank you, we we're done. Next time we played, they came backstage and goes, uh, it was Jay Leno was the host. Said, Jay wants you guys to uh, sit on the couch. Who's gonna sit in chair number one? Now, at the time, generally, I was kind of the spokesman for the band. I put the band together, started the band. So everybody kind of looked at me. So I said, okay, so there I was, chair number one on tonight's show. And uh, that was, uh, I watched that show since I was a kid. I mean, yeah. since I was a little kid. So to actually be on it was quite a, yeah, definitely. Quite a, an incredible honor. And I'm supremely mm. grateful. Full circle moment for you. <laughs> Fantastic. So this is just a question about your bass, the Yamaha Attitude bass. 
which you have sat on your lap as you do pretty much every interview I've ever seen you do because <laughs> you just always got it to hand haven't you um did you have Yamaha specifically in mind to manufacture your signature model and does it still sell well to this day and can you please send me one that's just a joke oh well <laughs> I'll see about that uh, uh no I didn't I, I knew about Yamaha and I knew them from pro audio and keyboards but the pro audio place in Buffalo, New York, Unistage, where they made our PA system for us uh, and various things. I went in one time because they were a Yamaha dealer. They happened to have a Yamaha bass there one time. And it was just kind of a, in passing. But I remember picking up and thinking, man, this thing is this thing is put together. This is incredible. Check down the neck and see the man, it's rock solid. So I just remembered from that moment, man, those basses are great. So I... Um, Briefly had a little thing with Kramer, and but the instruments were just awful, and I couldn't do it. Even though I was broke and had nothing, I ended up sending the instruments back to them as a, I just couldn't bring myself to endorse something that I didn't believe in. Yeah. And uh, uh, so uh, Yamaha got in touch with me after my picture was in Guitar Player Magazine. They want to talk with you next time you're out to L.A., which was winter, was the NAMM show of 1985. Mm -hmm. January 85. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, uh, just before that, December of 84, Talos had played in L.A. And uh, I had worked it out to have a meeting with Yamaha while I was there. So I, a friend of mine drove me down Orange County where their office is. And they said, hey, we'd like to do a endorsement thing with you guys and with you and make a make a, a base for you and uh you know have you become part of this was, great so we began putting together uh this is actually the third this is the third version of attitude but the attitude is the third base we had the first was an rbx base which they already made but it was small it was made for domestic japanese market people generally of smaller yeah. stature there so it was smaller and it was it was a great base uh but uh, it, it just didn't, my, I was used to the big old Manly P base. Uh, uh, and then they did the BB3000, which I just posted about on my Facebook about. I just went over it and did a, that's her there, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, this yeah. one. That's it, yeah. It's, it's a pinky one. Yeah, but yeah. A, that was a great base. But it's still, I'm, I'm a creature of habit, so I'm just used to the way that, that, that cutout on the base is up against me here. And the way this goes against my leg when I hold it, and it's part of, of my thing. So we went back to the drawing board and we and we designed this, me, myself, along with Yamaha. And we incorporated all the things from that first base, which is the wife. Yep, yep. All the modifications I did on that we did correctly on this one because I would, yeah. with a, you know, a hammer and a screwdriver, I didn't have a chisel. Yeah, yeah. Them wasn't done right as out of necessity right. so they came up with the first attitude base and it was uh righteous from the beginning and uh that was the first incarnation uh they did a second version and then a third and then they just did a 30-year anniversary version too so uh and they've sold incredibly well they're all they're completely out of stock all around the world uh we the they only made 30 of the 30 year anniversary ones, but they were sold in about 45 minutes. It was, they got snatched up and they were, and they're ex an expensive base. And I do my best to keep costs down because the hand make something in Japan is expensive. 
Yeah. A lot of companies now they'll they'll manufacture in China mm. or Indonesia or someplace where the labor costs are much cheaper. But Japan, the labor costs are not cheap at all. So, yeah, but yeah. it shows the thing is a high quality mm. base of a lifetime. This will be hopefully to you what that old P base was to me last me a, a whole yeah. career pretty much. You know, yeah, yeah. so it's been and the and the reason I went with this instead of continuing playing that is it was getting beat up and cracked and split and I I, I valued it so much I wanted to kind of retire yeah. and hang on to it. Yeah, but, absolutely. Uh, and if I do get an extra one, I'll see about sending it to you. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Do you play the production model as if I went to a guitar shop and bought that base that you've got in front of you right now? It's the exact same configuration and specification. Absolutely. There's the uh, the stamp on the back. Yeah. Right out of it's got a. Uh, uh, I, and that was part of the deal with Yamaha is that uh, if you make a bass for me, the ones in the store got to be the same as I play because at the time when the endorsement thing was exploding, and especially Kramer was one of the reasons. And no offense to Kramer, they've been purchased by Gibson now. I yeah. Think the okay. new Kramers are probably great. Sorry, but everybody's yeah. got a little problem in their past that they're whatever mm. at the time it was owned by different people and uh i saw that the way they were making those instruments i thought there's no way i'm gonna let somebody buy that yeah uh, and uh so I, I really wanted the quality to be the same because a lot of guys would get the bubinga wood uh, mm. koa body and and then you go to the store and yours is plywood you know mm. so it's not uh it's not a fair thing so yeah the yeah. ones that i have are exactly the ones that uh, are in the store and that is an important thing yeah i think if you're putting your name on something as a signature model then it has to be the best it can possibly be it can't just be this cash cow exactly and yeah. i don't make a lot of money off bases at all i make a royalty because of my uh work on the design okay but it's, it's not much it's not that much at all you'd be yeah. Be, I'd be embarrassed to tell you how much it is. There's a couple of other things that I endorse. Most most things I get no money for. It's funny because people think, oh, he's endorsing. He must be rolling the cash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, yeah. Got, I've gotten uh, uh, me and Larry DeMarzio from DeMarzio Pickups laugh about it because I've been endorsing uh, DeMarzio Pickups forever. And they're the greatest. Mm -hmm. Larry is the most wonderful guy. And the Willpower Pickups, pickups which are a great pickup, they're used on the Yamahas and people love them. Uh, now we got a new one, uh, the Relentless Pickup, which is, is even better. But we laugh about it. Yeah, when the royalty check comes in, I'll either send you, when the royalty's coming, I'll either send you a check or get you a bottle of wine. I go, yeah, you'll probably get it. You'll probably get it at Trader Joe's too. The, Brilliant. the two buck chuck, we call it, the $2 bottle of wine. Love but, that. Uh, but but I, I've never been money motivated, much, yeah. to, my, much to my wife's di dismay. <laughs> not necessarily uh, in it for cash and money. Yeah, I, no, I get that. Yeah. I love to play. And, and uh, if I can get, if I can pay the bills, I'm, I'm good. Do you find yourself messing around with five or six string bases? Recently I did only because I, I'm a believer in four string because I think and I, people take offense at so many things these days. And from, uh, I, I, I did a, I did a video on, uh, fret, uh, leveling on a cheap base so you can make it play better and literally got death threats. From oh people, God. They, they were upset that. Wow! How dare you? I mean, unbelievable. And it was just a block and delete, you know, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the the there's a huge controversy. There's got to be six string. No five. No four. No, I hate you. You know, you mm. suck. You know, and it's yeah, awful. Yeah. And it's not necessary. If you mm. play six string, God bless you. Go make a million. 
have the most successful career in history. Mm -hmm. If you play mm -hmm. a five string, fantastic. A four, great. Fretless, wonderful. Whatever, whatever you want to do. It's all music. But people get into this minutia of what's important and what I should do. And yeah. Our side against your side. Because they're not playing. You know, they're yep. not practicing. Mm -hmm. They're not writing and they're not performing. You yep. got all kinds of time to go on the line and go, what are you five string? What are you talking? You know, I just, no, no, no. I, yeah. I, you know, so, so for me, a lot of times, Going to a five-string bass or a six-string bass is because you haven't yet explored everything you need to explore on four. Yeah. Uh, yes, there's been five and six-string violins and violas and cellos and uprights, but the grand, grand amount through the centuries has been four strings. There's a thing with four strings with the hand and how it go across. When yeah. it, it, you've got to flatten out when you get five and flatten even further when you get six. Yeah. a beautiful uh, six string on the wall there, the bass that I played on Just Take My Heart, uh, Mr. Big. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a hit single with it. And it's a yeah. six string. It's a glorious, beautiful Yamaha TRB6. Incredible yeah. instrument. And I had it on for a couple of days and was just running. And there's no difference. Mm -hmm. That's another problem with five or six string bass is that mm -hmm. people that don't understand Oh, he's good. And I had a, a guy write to me uh, recently and said exactly the same thing. I screenshot it just so I could show my friend. Uh, well, four string, five string, he must be way better. Six string, he must be amazing. You know? yeah, yeah. And so the four string players are like, hold on a second. Yeah. And I always say, okay, Getty, Steve yeah. Harris, Chris Squire, Jocko, uh, Jeff Berlin. Uh, I could go on for hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All four string players. <laughs> and uh, so it doesn't mean. And so to the average public, mm. they get uh, an unwarranted impression that if you're playing more than four strings, mm. you must be way better. You know, just imagine the yeah. genius. They can play six strings. And yeah. I had some kid write to me, you play four strings. And I won't use his name. He plays six strings. He's <laughs> better. Yeah, great. Again, then he must be most better. So why don't you write to him? Mm. And see yeah. if he answers you. Yeah, see yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Approaching it like a level in a video game of like intermediate, advanced expert, and it's yeah, it's about it's what you do on those strings first and foremost, isn't it? Exactly. And uh, I, I did a, a, a bass thing one time with a bunch of bass players, and a guy came and he had like uh, the neck was about this wide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, amazing uh, craftsmanship. Uh, and he, I don't know how many strings were on it, probably maybe 18 to 24. That's, yeah. And I'm thinking, wow, this is going to be, I can't wait to hear this. This is going to be pretty wild. So yeah. I'm in the dressing room and I'm back there and I can hear all the bass players playing. I go, when's the guy with the 24 string bass going on? He goes, oh, that's him now. And I go, it just sounds like any other bass. I, yeah. I don't hear him going like, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello. Crazy. I never, yeah. I never heard it. It was just like, he just used the four strings in the middle, I guess. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so it, it's, it's an unnecessary controversy. Yeah, if you yeah, play definitely. five or six, God bless you, and you're still my yeah. friend, and, and I'll, yeah. I'll, 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 uh, I'll get you some extra strings. To yeah, yeah. Two on there if you want. They'll just be in a pack rather than on the base. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. So this is a bit of a crazy question i have seen in some of your interviews that you do get a bit bored of getting the same questions asked over and over again so i have tried my best to come <laughs> up with some crazy ones for you what is the biggest disaster slash technical issue you've ever faced on stage in your career well there's been 
due to the amount of time I've spent on stage, as I uh, mentioned earlier, night after night after night after gig after gig after gig gig for years and years and years, you get used to anything and you can handle almost anything. We were in Japan filming a show. Everybody from USA flew over because it was a really important video they're going to do of this huge show and I, you know, we're in the middle of to be with you and just take my heart and all the hits. And it was a really critical thing. It had to be righteous. And one of my main Alembic preamps died. Yeah. And it's in the rack. Yeah. And normally it would be stop the show. We're going to take a half an hour and figure out what to do. So I ran off the stage, grabbed a couple of plugs out of it, plugged it into another one nearby, which wasn't right. It wasn't the same, but I knew enough to know I can get sound out of this, put it back in. And it's seen I'm back there like for an eternity. I'm thinking, oh no, I ruined the manager's going to kill me. I came back up on stage and we couldn't finish the show. I saw the video footage of it. I went off stage, came back. <laughs> it was so fast yeah. that it seemed an, an eternity to me, but it wasn't. But yeah. other than things of that nature, uh, it's been been very few. Recently, mm. at some of the Scouts bass lessons, you see me wearing uh, sunglasses because yeah. uh, we played a club, a venue that had a huge uh, like dance club lighting system on a a, a, a giant winch that would come down and a million lights would flash and go crazy and lasers and stuff like that. And they brought it down halfway and used it for the stage lighting for us. It looked great. It was amazing. But they were so bright, the guy hit me with something and I had a retinal burn. Mm. Uh, welders get it if you don't wear the, the welding thing with that yeah, dark yeah. glass. If you ever look through that yeah. glass, you can't see anything. Yeah, That's how bright the welding torch is. Yeah, yeah. It, will, it happened to my brother. Will, he was watching a guy weld one time, and it, mm. it, he went into horrible uh, pain with it. So yeah. uh, it hurt. And I, I, while I was playing, I just went back and kind of rested my head on the amp for a second. Still playing. Mm. And uh, went to a hospital uh, the next day, but it was a huge long line. I think I said, Let me, I, I'll be okay, I think. so. But to this day, I got a little bit of a mm. cloud as a result of that. So, But it, it was... Uh, I haven't really gotten, I think I, cr I cracked a rib on stage in Japan one time, but none of these things ever stop the show. Yeah, absolutely. The <laughs> show must go on. That's it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I was going to say something then. I've completely forgotten what it was. I shouldn't. It'll probably come back to me. That's fine. Um, how did you meet Steve Vai? We were on the same label. Talos was on Combat Records, which is a subsidiary of Relativity records which was part of important records out of new york city and steve was on relativity records and we'd actually i think we had spoken prior to us ever meeting about possibly doing something together because steve had come out with his uh i think his uh attitude song uh first kind of ep or whatever he did it was very first uh, record and so uh the guys from relativity wanted him to meet me because we would play down in New York where the company was a lot. So they'd always come to see Talos and stuff. We were good friends of ours. And so we spoke about it. And uh, then uh, when I when I first went to LA, well, Dave flew me in, but I was sworn to secrecy. So I couldn't tell anybody anything about anything, no matter what. And so I'm out one night at the Rainbow Bar and Grill and Steve Vai is there. Now, Steve and I, or Dave and I were looking for a guitarist. 
So, and I, and I thought about Steve and, and recommended him. So I went out there and there's Steve. Oh, Steve, how are you doing? And it's a photo of us standing together at that time too. And the photo was funny because I just said to him prior to the photo being snapped, you know, there's a thing I've been working on that I can't talk about. You might be interested. And he goes, I think I know the thing you're talking about. <laughs> we knew neither one of us could say anything about it. So sure enough, uh, we, we ended up uh, calling him down and he came down to Dave's house and was the perfect guitarist for getting a smile. And yeah, yeah. So, he, and he's still a dear friend of mine, like a brother to me. I, I love him completely. And yeah, his wonderful wife and incredible sons and moved along with Greg Bissonette and Brett Tuggle, the other two Eat Him and Smile musicians. Mm -hmm. We are all very, very close friends. And we all have nothing but love and respect for Dave as well. So yeah, it's a good thing. Do you still speak to Steve and do you occasionally get to go to his Harmony Hut? Oh yeah. Yeah, I was out there uh, when we were working on the new Winery Dogs record, writing, I had a night off. So me, Steve and Greg got together, got together made some awful pizza. <laughs> we made a mistake and uh, he sat us down and played us a couple of things that he'd been working on. Pretty, pretty amazing. He's a, he's got a, just a great ear. Uh, I saw a thing he did with that was his new uh, triple Hydra. Hydra. So great. And uh, he is just a wonderful human being too. Uh, it's, mm -hmm. I, I know some people who are, are very famous and extremely talented and I still love them anyway, but there's a dark side to them or a side to them. You, you feel bad about it yeah. ain't the case with Steve or Greg or Brett in any way either. And even Dave, I, he's still a hero to me. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I've been lucky to play with people that are quality human beings. And, uh, I, yeah. I, that's one of the things I'm most grateful for. I think the thing with Steve Vai for me is the level of innovation that he has. And if someone says to him, you can't do that, he'll do an entire album just to prove them wrong. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's bound and determined. Yeah, he's a, he's, just... he's, a, he's no barriers mm. uh, for sure, and, yeah, yeah. And, and and just supreme talent too. He's a, yeah, and his musical uh, understanding. Mm. So I, I can't read music. I don't know anything about what I, I, I don't know. I don't know what chord that is. I know it's the beginning of Watchers of the Watcher of the Skies by Genesis. Uh, so <laughs> That's it. I don't know. I don't know what chord it is though. But uh, so he's. I'm lucky to have guys like him, Tony McAlpine, Jeff Berlin, a few other guys that really know so much about music. So the, if I have a question, what's an augmented 11th? You know, yeah. Maybe you can explain that to me. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Love that. Right. So technology, how has music changed for you in regards to the technology and the times that we now live in when they've moved forward so aggressively? You seem aware of the whole get it or get left behind mentality, and you don't seem to shy away from new emerging markets. Well, uh, you've got to roll with the changes. And uh, I was an early adopter of all things digital because it was so much easier because you're yeah. working with a tape machine and you got you to gotta fix something. I remember they used to splice the two-inch tape with all all. 32 tracks or however many tracks were on it. Uh, we'd have to leave the room of the engineer in complete silence, get the razor blade and it, cause you, cause you could blow it. And that, that would be, you'd ruin the take completely. So it was just precarious and difficult and stressful. And then you came out with a situation where, uh, eh, could you do it like that? Here you go. Uh, yeah, but with a little more, whatever, here it is. 
Okay, could you take it back the way it was first? Here you go. You know, so life is so much easier. Mm. Now, there was always a, a, a concern about the sound quality, but I'm a true believer that what you get used to is what works for you. As an example, we've started out with tube amps and tubes have a sound. They distort a certain way and they respond a certain way. So people fall in love with tube amps and anything not a tube amp, they hate. If it would have been the other way around where we started out with solid state amps and they're super quick and fast and bright and shrill and uh, no nonsense and they don't overheat and they're reliable. And then tube amps would have come, come along with it going, wow, this fluffy, whoppy, indiscernible tubes. Give me my, give me a, my solid state amps. That's, that's what you grew up on. So you, you, you learn to love that. So people that grew up on tape and radio with a lot of compression on it, uh, uh, when they would hear uh, digital with a greater dynamic range and no noise and no hiss, uh, maybe they just weren't ready for it. But from the early times, I knew it, even if it didn't sound exactly the same, it still sounds good. And if I'm at a party and I put on the digital version of uh, 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 You Shook Me All Night Long or the cassette version, nobody's going to know the difference. You know, yeah. no, no, they're, they're going to hear the first notes of that yeah. chord. All right. You know, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it, it, and uh, so uh, there are purists that have better ears than mine that will dispute uh, most everything I'm saying, and rightfully so, because there is a sound to each thing. Some things I can't always discern it myself. But as a in the studio, slugging it out, uh, spending time now with a laptop, you can have the equivalent of a a $10 million studio in the 80s, but it's even more than the equivalent. You do so many things you could never have done, ever. We're impossible to do. Mm. Pitch correction yeah. could never be done. Yeah, it, it, it only came out when, after they started to be able to change pitch on the original Eventide harmonizer, mm. somebody got smart and said, there's probably a way to do this to the voice. And they did. Yeah. I've heard stories about, um, I think it's Roger Taylor and John Deacon only being able to do one take for like the Queen records because the tape was so expensive and yeah. it wasn't, oh, I'm going to try that again, but with more feeling. It was, that is your only chance. And I can't imagine the amount of pressure that that must put you under knowing that that is what everyone is going to hear. We had uh, first Mr. Big record recorded on tape and uh, we, uh, Pat Torpy, God rest his soul, was in the drum room. I'm in my little bass spot. We're tracking, and okay, we're you know okay, we're rolling. And something didn't happen. And I remember because we we'd laugh about it all the time. Pat said, "Come on, hurry up! We're wasting tape because <laughs> we're on a, we're on a tight budget, but we're on a budget, so we, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always part of the mentality. Not so, wasting but yeah, money. All, all things digital. And right now, uh, not only can you make a record with your laptop or even your iPhone, if you wanted to, mm. you can make your video with that. And then you can get on social media and a couple of clicks you're exposed to about 2 billion people. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, we're wasting time or money. It's we're wasting tape. That's the most uh, <laughs> important resource on the planet. It was Brilliant. at one point. <laughs> Do you have any pre-stage rituals and where do you eat if possible before slash after a show that you play? Never before. I can't eat before because I got to be, I got to be uh, lightweight on, the, on my feet in the, in the uh, 
in the boxing ring there. Uh, and no rituals really. I, I, I practice, I warm up a lot. I get usually the bus comes to the venue around 11 or 12 noon and uh, I'll get out and one of my uh, wonderful crew guys will set up a little spot for me with a chair or a couch and my little practice amp, or black coffee and sit there and tear into it uh, for hours and then uh, do sound check, come back and do a little bit more. And then when I hear the opening act go on, that means time to get dressed and get ready. And because uh, that because they usually go for about 45 minutes or so, gives me about an hour. And then uh, we just go up. I don't have uh, about halfway through the show. I might have a beer, mm. but I would not drink wine on a gig because uh, it just is too quick and too much. And uh, I need my sensibilities uh, about me. But usually halfway through the show, I'm sweating so much the beer isn't going to touch me. So if I have a little yeah, sip, yeah. it's going to be a problem. But I've never been a, I'm not a drug guy. I never tried cocaine. I haven't had yeah. a drug, drug in since 1971. Mm. Uh, when I was in high school, I smoked dope a couple times. Mm. But uh, since since then, I haven't had anything. And yeah. uh, I, do, I do like a couple of beers and wine, as my people who see my posts know very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a bit. Yeah, fantastic. Um, any chance of another solo album? For a... Any chance of another solo album? Yeah, I've been, uh, I got my phone with me all the time, so I come up with an idea and I'll set it down on selfie video and play the part that I just came up with and then explain into the phone. All right, that would be the verse. Now here's the chorus, turn it off, figure it out. Okay, here's the chorus to that verse and I've got thousands of those yeah. ideas. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'm figuring out which hard drive to load, load them all into and start reviewing them and come together. Fantastic. And I'm lucky to have exposure to uh, great engineers and great uh, players uh, here in Nashville. It was like that in LA too, of course, but Nashville is, is a, a whole new set of them. So uh, I can do most of it right here in my home studio too. Yeah, yeah. Nice. How do you deal with and combat writer's block? Just, just do it. Pick it up and go. Uh, I don't feel like practicing today. We'll do it anyway. I yeah. mean, a couple of times I'm sitting there. Well, I could scroll on uh, uh, mm. Instagram for another hour. I forced it, put the phone down, pick it up and go, you know? Yeah. And, and sometimes you're just not into it. I said, okay, so let me just run. Finger exercises, boring. But hit them all, hit them right, hit them in time. Each note, the same length, same right. volume. Work at it, work at it, drill, drill, drill. And then in about 15 minutes, oh, and it starts to come back. And also now you're actually playing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think I'm, I'm a firm believer in uh, force it. Just sit down with a pen and a paper. Think of a song title. I, I don't know. How about, okay, what else? What else? And just, uh, and just go. Yeah. Uh, the, you, you have to sit down. Get, there's a great challenge to sit down with a blank piece of paper and a pen or open up a word document blank and your keyboard yeah and however you may choose to do it and just and just start to go and you'll find almost every time that it'll come so you can sit back and say oh i got writer's block i'm not going to work today next day i still got kind of writer's block i'm not going to mm. work today mm. now you wasted two three four five six days yeah you would have sat down the first day and just forced it and written a horrible song mm. that you hate that's awful that was it wasn't a waste of your time. Yeah. Then you say, why do I hate it? Why is it awful? Well, yeah. I'm not going to do that again. So the next song is a little better. The next one is a little better. 
and then you do a great one, then you do an awful one again, and then you do another wonderful one. So just, yeah. you got to really kind of, I'm a firm believer in just pushing it. You know, same thing with rehearsal. Sometimes you get rehearsal. What do you want to do? I don't know. Let's run the set, run the set. Yeah. Well, we already did it. Well, let's run it again. Yeah. Top to bottom. Go ahead. Uh, uh, until you, you can breathe it and mm-hmm. it becomes you. When you're up on stage, it, it makes a difference to the audience. So you know what you're doing. You know what song is next. You know, yeah. you, you got variations of what you're going to play there. You know your harmony parts. You know your spots. And it's a, just, a, it's a, a hard work. It's not a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Push through. When you go to a gig prepared, you feel quite bulletproof, don't you? And quite ready for anything that's going to come your way. Whereas if you've just got ideas, it's probably yeah. going to be a bit of a disaster. Yeah, I learn everything I can before getting rehearsal. And yeah. most of the guys I work with do too. As a matter of fact, uh, with Mr. Big, I would go in with Pat Torpy and we would run the whole set bass and drums. Just so I knew exactly every move he was doing. He knew exactly what I was doing. Yeah. So after doing that for four or five days, the whole set, you know, time and time and time again, then the guitarist would come in and he'd have this foundation of uh, uh, 30 inches of solid concrete and rebar to stand on because the bass and drums were locked in pre- precisely. Then when yeah. the singer came in, that was even better because he had all this underneath them, could relax, just sing and know that everything behind him was righteous. So it's a uh, hard work does pay off. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Love that. What do you look for in emerging artists that are looking to break through? Is it, in your opinion, easier or harder to get noticed these days with the internet and everything, like you say, being available to publish to billions of people in one press? I think it's still kind of even because in the old days, in order to get into a studio, it was almost impossible. You had to pay a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And to get to a record company was really tough. And then if you to put out a record and required contracts and lawyers and, uh, and uh, liabilities and lawsuits. And uh, now you can get together with your friends, uh, rent some mics if you don't have enough mics or some input stuff, uh, record to Pro Tools or Logic or whatever you use, uh, uh, make, the, make it available for a streaming or go to CD Baby and have them... Uh, 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 Press up your CDs and distribute them for you, or the uh, uh, Distro Kid, or there's a whole bunch of other great services that just get your music everywhere. Mm-hmm. Now you ha- now you have access to every uh, promotional uh, tool in the world with social media. Uh, so, but it's much more crowded now too. So it kind of balances itself up. Yeah. And I remember when uh, I read an article about when desktop publishing began. And they were worried that, well, everybody's going to have a desktop computer and everybody will be able to write a book. So we're going to be swamped with all these books. We won't know what to do with all these great books. Every year, the same amount of books rise to the top and become bestsellers. Similar to music, every year about the same amount of artists come through. So I think in the grand scheme of the population, there is a finite, maybe not finite, but there is a percentage of people that will come up with great stuff and will break through. Uh, and I say to people, the chances of you being in that percentage are slim, but there's no reason in the world why you can't. Yeah. You can be in that. Yeah. And I remember I did a, a, a clinic at Musicians Institute and I said, the chance, and there's about four or 500 people, I said, the chances of anyone in, you, in this room making it are pretty slim. If one of you out of this whole group makes it, 
That's a lot. And I can see their eyes like, oh my God. I go, but there's no reason why everyone in this room can't do it. And it's really true. Well, uh, I'm not handsome or I, I'm, I'm overweight and uh, my voice is kind of unusual. Uh, well, I'll, anytime you give me an excuse, I'll find somebody that had exactly that and made it huge. Yeah. I remember seeing a, a motivational speaker, mm. a guy who was a drummer and he was horribly burned in an accident. And his, one of his hands had a little bit of a thumb left and no fingers. And the other one uh, had nothing. Yeah. And he taped the drumstick and managed to hold the other one. It sat behind a kit and annihilated. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. So all the drummers out there with full physical health and a bright, shining, muscular, uh, 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 functional, uh, physical self. You know, there's people with way worse than you that 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 uh, have have done better. So yeah. I really don't think there's that. That's why it, it harkens back to the earlier question about you know what do you do when you have writer's block? Yeah. You, write you start writing you know if you if you think you're not going to make it because of something well go do it there's people that you know uh, ed sheeran was uh, busking mm -hmm. in a subway yep. and somebody saw him and yeah. it was spectacular incredible songwriter and mind-blowingly successful and he just goes up on a stadium with sixty thousand people with his guitar low overhead <laughs> unusual question and you can say no if you want, but can you give me the names and not the phone numbers of 10 people in your phone? As in like famous people that have public figure notoriety, is that the word? Yeah, uh, a lot of people. Yeah. Um, Brian Adams, Steve Vai. Uh, I think one of the Rush guys, either Alex or Getty. Uh, let's see who else do I know? Uh, Robert Fritt, wonderful guy. Uh, I have a phone greatest hits from the old days Yeah, that I, that I saved to digital and it's got, uh, uh Peter Frampton, uh, Buck Dharma from a uh, blue oyster cult. I got a bunch of, uh, recordings of Ed Van Halen, Dave Cullen. I will never play them for the public, but of course, yeah, yeah. Sadly, I didn't know we lost him. It was, it was a horrible thing, but he, he he's in there. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, what else do I know? Well, that was a bunch. That was a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's enough. <laughs> oh, Dennis Chambers. Yeah. Uh, 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 cheap trick player. Uh, Tom Peterson. Mm -hmm. Billy Gibbons. Guys like that. You had me at Brian Adams. <laughs> <laughs> I love Brian Adams. He's I love so Brian Adams. He's a fantastic songwriter, isn't he? Mm -hmm. I was meant to ask you this pre-recording, but this is another strange question. Are you involved in any charity work? And do you look after your local community in any way that you can? Uh, not continuously, but I have a plan now. I still have all of my... Uh, wardrobe archive from all the Edom and Smile shows and videos and everything like that. And a huge archive of things that a lot of fans would love. So I could be the, uh, I don't know what word I'd use to describe myself if I was this type of person, sell it all and keep the money. I, I, I don't want to do that. So I want to do an auction. The first people we, we that have come to us was a, a, um, 
an organization that gets uh, bulletproof vests for first responders, medical, fire, and the police, I think they're pr provided for them, but, but I'm not sure, not all municipalities provide police with uh, bulletproof vests. A lot of times fire, firemen will come on and up to put a building out and there's still some going on and they get shot at. Uh, or, or even a medical technician ambulance shows up and there's still some and they get shot at. So it's, these people save lives. We all depend on them or someone that we know depends on them at some point or other between yeah. life and death. And, 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 yeah. and that's cool. I want to do the uh, full on auction. It'll clean up. I'll get a lot of space in my house out of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all the stuff I wore on Adam Small, all the things on magazine covers that I wore and uh, things in articles and on stage and tons of other things and collections of magazines and uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So I was going to auction it all off uh, for uh, that charity. Uh, maybe not exclusively them, but maybe a few. But I want to do it uh, because I just think uh, it'd make a lot of people happy to have some of this stuff. And also the money would do some good rather than going in my pocket because I probably got it for free anyway because the wardrobe was usually yeah. provided to us. So yeah, 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 yeah. Sometimes in there I did pay for it. But, but yeah. I think it would be uh, people see the value of it and hopefully they see the value of uh, contributing to uh, – something that saves people's lives you know yeah definitely yeah well, the whole um the whole space thing's quite funny because i remember devon townsend did a clinic i've got his drummer coming on in a couple of months which is mental um but devon townsend talks about the fact that he was endorsed by pv for quite a long time and he got quite a lot of stuff sent to him whether he liked it or not he would get like four by twelves two by twelves and he'd get seven string guitars and stuff sent to him and he actually said to pv once can i sell some of this because rent's due and they were like, you cannot sell anything that we send you. Don't even think about it. And it's just funny that like sometimes you get these things, like you say, from Yamaha in abundance. And you're like, I don't even know if I'm ever going to be able to unbox this because I've already got so much stuff on my walls. Well, Yamaha said that me and Chick Corea were the only two people that sent things back. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't, and I've had a policy of not selling endorsement stuff. Absolutely. I get an endorsement. Uh, a couple of paddle companies sent me things. And they're small companies and they were great, but I couldn't use it. So I contacted them and said, can I send this back to you? I know you're a small company and it's expensive for you. So they said, yeah, we'd appreciate it. So I sent it back, you know, mm -hmm. and that's, again, I'm not, I'm not a money motivated guy necessarily. Yeah. And sometimes they say, yeah, go ahead and sell it. You know, if you, yeah, if yeah. you want it. by the time we get it back and rebox it and mm -hmm. it's too much of a pain in the ass. So, so I, I, uh, when the pandemic started, there was a guy who would, you take photos of your pedals, send them the photos, and he just send you a check and you mail him the pedals. Okay. Because I had uh, stuff from people all over the place. So uh, I knew I was going to be out of work for a while. So yeah, I did take that. I did take that check. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. No, it, wasn't that it wasn't that yeah, much. Yeah. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be auctioning everything off as soon as possible. Another strange question for you. If you could be any animal, what animal would you be and why? Well, I'm fond of cats, I, as people know, for our rebel or a little kitty cat. I'm surprised he hasn't come down here howling at me <laughs> for not paying attention to them. Uh, right? A lion or a tiger would be pretty cool, but that's a, that's a tough one. But I, yeah. I love cats and I love big cats and I, all animals. Uh, it's a, um, I've always been a nature conservationist. Yeah. I was actually a uh, subscriber to the Conservationist magazine when I was a kid. <laughs> there we go. Thank you very much. So, favorite place in the world to play? Hard to say. There, there, 
I hope some people don't take this the wrong way, but most places are the same. Uh, once you get there, the crowd is uh, pumped and ready to go. And I remember a very famous band was telling us, yeah, when we play Japan, the audience just sits there. And I go, when we play, they lost their minds. That's great. What are you talking about? Even one time we had um, a girl, pardon me, this is a little off color, but a young lady is out there in the crowd and the whole crowd is going crazy. And she pulled her top off which is unheard of in Japan. They're very, mm. very conservative. Mm. Unheard of. She pulled her top off. And uh, I'm looking at the guys in the band like, check this out. And they're running over to my side and said, oh my God, unbelievable. Nobody in the audience saw her because they were all looking at us. Nobody yeah, yeah. looked sideways to see. So it was, so she was, she, she kept her, her, uh, her, uh, decency. Yes, her, uh, <laughs> whatever. Incognito flashing. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Uh, what was the question? I forgot. I lost my train That's of thought. Right. I don't blame you. Favorite place in the world to play? Oh yeah. So well, uh, <laughs> South America is mind blowing. Yeah. Uh, they are, have a passion down there, and it's known. They're eating, drinking, dancing, living. They do have a passion. Italy, of course. Uh, but I don't want to uh, uh, cliche it that the culture is known for that kind of food and dance and that kind of passion and mm. uh in, in in scandinavia it's awesome too that's great in germany yeah. amazing gigs uh japan is incredible we've been very lucky to uh make so many friends there and play there so many times i think we did i remember the 300th show we did there with mr big they had a big 300 i'm thinking a big celebration and uh it's uh it's tough to pick one but uh yeah no Brazil is off the hook. Brazil yeah. is amazing. Argentina, Chile, Brazil, uh, Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, Colombia, Venezuela, all those places were amazing. Bolivia. Fantastic. Yeah. Really great. But right. all over Europe, it's been wonderful too. And we're very lucky. So one of my bucket list things to do as a 32-year-old male, I'm probably going to get there at about 45 of the current rate of everything costing quite a lot of money in the UK at the moment. Um, Japan, I really, really want to go to Japan. Can you recommend me a place in Japan that I should check out as a first-person sort of trip? Well, the good news is, and there's, not, and there's actually no bad news, the real good news is Japan is the most exotic wild fascinating other planetary experience mm -hmm. you can have and also you're safe english is everywhere yeah it's clean the food is amazing yeah uh it's just uh it's the future yeah. want to see what the if, if everything would have worked out and we know it hasn't yeah that's what we would all be living in yeah and it's just incredible yeah uh, uh, it's and it's it, it may be part of a um, sensibility of uh, Asian cultures because I also know in uh, uh, unfortunately China has had to go through their political situation so we don't know where they're at Taiwan is a little bit more uh, stable and uh, westernized if you will and be careful here yeah and Taiwan is quite awesome South Korea now too is really coming around they're just an amazing uh, food is amazing it's clean it's safe it's uh, not as much english so in either one of those but in japan they were early adopters of a lot of english so it's it's just easy to get around and uh there's a lot of western culture there uh, uh go to tokyo uh go to uh 
Rapongi. There's a little area of Tokyo called Rapongi. That's where all the bars and hanging out are. It's a, probably the most uh, Western area you'll go to because it's a lot of drinking and partying there. Yeah, pretty amazing. Uh, I'm trying to think of the names of a couple other places to go. Uh, Akasaki is uh, the business district. Clean, safe, great restaurants. But you just walk down. It's funny because you have these main roads and these little alleyways. And in the alleyways are all these little ramen houses yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, little uh, uh, places to eat. Mm. Uh, you want to get some Yamachan chicken wings. Okay. Yamachan. Well, it's like a Yamaha, but it's Yamachan. Yeah, yeah. They do these little, the double bone wings, and there's just kind of just pepper on them. But they taste so good, and they just pop them in and pull it, two bones out, and they give you a giant thing to put the bones in. Like, why, why would we need such a giant thing? Yeah, could you bring us another one? Because you'll fill it up. Keeps and going. the beer has got just amazing beer with this kind of a unusual, like a coriander aftertaste. Unbelievable. But you, yeah. it's worth it to go to Japan. It's the most otherworldly interplanetary uh, trip you can take and still not worry about getting bonked in the head or mm. having your wallet stolen. We had, yeah. when we were Mr. Big, our, our drummer Pat dropped his passport on the train and we were long gone. Mm. Uh, the fans figured out where our hotel was and they came with the, his passport to, get, to make sure he got it back. That's nice. Un unbelievable. We've got dozens of stories like that where people just won't yeah, yeah, yeah. out of their way just because they're amazing. Yeah. And, and, and uh, again, not to sell anyone else short, we've had incredible experiences in almost every country. Yeah, man. Uh, great yeah. food, amazing people. But Japan is, a, is a, quite a phenomenon and yeah. I, I highly recommend it. Awesome. Thank you very much for that. Great. So my one of my best friends, Jim, has a question for you about your current um, postings and your food related stuff. <laughs> so where do you get your inspiration for your love of delicious cooking that you always put on Facebook? Is it a family thing or is it completely self-inspired? Well, it was a family thing, but not in the way you think. Uh, when I grew up, I had older brothers and sisters and they were usually gone. And then my folks split up when I was young and my mom was on her own for a long time and uh, she'd go out on the weekend. So I was home alone a lot. I always say Macaulay Culkin. I was home, I was home alone. Yeah. All the time. So I had no choice but to figure out how to cook something to eat. So I started with the crab macaroni and cheese, but I go, what if I put some real cheddar on this? Wouldn't it be better? And then started doctoring things that were already there instead of the jarred spaghetti sauce, I'd dice an onion, some mushrooms, Put that in before I put it on the spaghetti and started adding to and and uh, uh, modifying what was already there. And uh, my mom was a great cook, so when she was around, I saw her cook uh, some amazing things. She could do anything with anything. We got a couple things in the refrigerator. She'd figure out a way to put them together and make a meal out of it. So I kind of got that as well. And uh, I I love uh, good quality uh, food, good tastes, uh, and, and things of that nature. So. Uh, and eating at home, you always have a control over the quality of what you're getting. Yeah. And uh, it's uh, generally uh, less of a caloric uh, overload if you make it your own. Yeah, your own. yeah. But I just love it. And I'm my wife's from Italy, and she brings a whole new world of uh, expertise mm. uh, to, the, to the table, literally and figuratively, mm. uh, uh, in, in her skills that she got from her mom, mm. uh, which were quite, quite extensive. So between the two of us, we managed to... Uh, pull off some good things, but it's, uh, I encourage, but I know some people don't cook at all. You know, they yeah. make microwave a burrito once in a while. It's a health thing too. You know, yeah, really yeah. 
cook fresh food. We, everything is organic. Mm. Very, very rarely do we have something that's not organic. Mm. Well, because I, I believe in the uh, the saying the uh, the high the high price of low cost. You get mm. low cost food, you're going to pay high price later in your health. So mm. get great stuff now, good quality. Mm. Uh, with a lot of vitamins and minerals, which is, I believe or, organic uh, is is a way to go. Yeah, and I believe you it'll reflect in your health, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. So that's 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 about it. But I I was I got left alone a lot, so I, I had to figure it out or start. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, you seem full of life still. You seem to have a lot of energy, considering you know your your stage in life and all that sort of stuff. You seem to you strike me as someone that jumps out of bed. I don't know if that's true or not, but <laughs> well, uh, somewhat. I sometimes fall. Yeah. you could call it a jump. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. in the air and then hit the ground. So maybe yeah. you would call it that. But yeah, uh, yeah I saw you hesitate before yeah. you said "old man." I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I'll let you say that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just turned sixty-nine, and uh, yeah, I'm. I went had a big ass checkup on everything, as you would do in the, this age bracket, and I did this heart thing and the. It was an MRI, uh, EKG, and then a stress test where you run on the thing and they check in. It was in, over several days. And the last one was the stress test. It was in the doctor's office and he came bounding in with all the results and just said, I, I won't see you for another 10 years. And nice. you know, you're, you're in great shape. So I'm very thankful for that. I was never a smoker, not a heavy drinker, no drugs, and mostly uh, high quality food. Uh, not an incredibly stressful life, but it's but it, there is a there is a lot of stress being in of course. the entertainment business to say the least. Of course, uh, but I'm lucky to have an amazing wife uh, who's who's just yeah. an asset to everything and our great kitty cat Rebel. He's an instant uh, therapy cat, you know. He, yeah, yeah. We he, we laugh our asses off at him. So, so uh, I'm in pretty good shape, thankfully. That's cool. Last question from Jim was: How on earth do you cook sea bass? Okay, I don't know how to cook uh, fish in general, but I do know that you don't want to either undercook or overcook. There's a certain thickness of fish that you have to take into consideration with your heat and time. And I do remember when I was a fisherman, we would catch trout, and trout has almost no scales. They have scales, but they're so small that it's like, they're like glitter. They fall to the water. So you take the trout, slice them in the middle, remove all the insides. You can leave the head on or not. Some people, that's a little too much for them. And you just put uh, put the wet, dead trout, <laughs> for lack of a better, in yeah, flour, yeah. flip it over, uh, put butter in a pan, drop it in, fry it for a little while, flip it over, use your common sense, take it out. And that skin peels off in one piece, and then the bones separate at the lateral line where the, the bones that go up and down of the vertebrae, there's also bones that go sideways, and that would be the lateral line. So your fork can push the bones away and then towards you. And then that bone, just like in the cartoons, comes out like a mm. like a comb, pulls out in one piece. And it's so, it's so easy to eat because they come apart so easily and it's such a mild fish. So that same way of cooking would work. On a bass, so they've got scales, and some I'm sure the internet will jump down my throat and correct me if I'm wrong. But I believe there is some bit bit of a flavoring that would be too strong if you cook it with the scales on. Mm. So you get a bottle cap from a, a beer bottle or a, a, a dull knife, and you get those scales off. Mm. You can also remove the skin because some, some fish, it depends on I don't believe the sea bass have a strong skin. So I would do the same there. I would uh, uh, 
Uh, you could do a panko breadcrumbs, regular breadcrumbs. Uh, finely crunched potato chips. Uh, get creative. Or flour. Or a flavored flour. Put a little uh, oregano or uh, uh, something in the in the flour. Give it a little flavor. Yeah. And do the same. Get a little bit of. Uh, you could do a little a little deeper, maybe some olive oil. Or peanut oil is great for for frying because it, it tolerates a high temperature. Drop it in one side. Uh, clean it the same way I said the trot. You might want to remove the head too. Yeah. Uh, drop it in a uh, reasonable amount of time and uh, flip it over and uh, it'll come out and that skin will probably peel right off and the uh, the meat will come off of the uh, the skeleton as well in the same way. Yeah. A little garlic butter on that and you, you it's going to be fantastical. Sounds good. There you go. Jim has a bit of culinary advice from Billy himself. <laughs> so I hope that helps you mate because you've been very good at asking all the questions so far got one more fan question then I'm just going to reel off the last bits if that's all right with you Billy so got my friend Ben Eller who's quite a well-known guitarist he wants Great. to know where your lead bass idea came from and who slash what inspired you to be a bass shredder rather than just someone that just sort of sits in the background and thumps away well, I started like that. I played straight up bass. Yeah. But I was lucky to hear some people that were amazing early on. Jack Bruce, mm -hmm. uh, Wheels of Fire, uh, Crossroads all over the place. Jamie Jamerson, all over the neck. The most active melodic instrument in almost any Motown track is the bass. Yeah. It's all over the place. Paul McCartney, a little help from my friends, all over. The main melodic instrument is the bass. Tim Bogart, Vanilla Fudge. Mind-blowing, all over the place. Uh, Jack Cassidy from uh, Jefferson Airplane, all over the place. Uh, Mel Shacker from Grand Funk, not so much all over the place, but a lot of distortion, a lot of tone. And, yeah. Uh, so there was a lot of guys that did things like that. Mm -hmm. uh, some generations aren't aware of some of those earlier guys. Yeah. I, I, I always give them credit because I took so, I, so much of them. Uh, uh, stood on the shoulders occasionally, stood on their foot too, so I apologize about that. But... Uh, uh, so uh, we were in a three-piece span, and I had to do more. Yeah. So we play. Uh... I'd have to do the, the stabs and, and Absolutely. Yeah. play the extra stuff. So it it uh, just to make it for the lack of other musicians, only three of us on stage. We, we would do uh, "White Punks on Dope" by. Uh, uh, by uh, the tubes, which was a massive production. We yeah. pulled it off three pieces. It was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So that that kind of led to that. And uh, because I could, uh, most of the guitarists I played with were pretty good guitarists, and they could play while the bass was implying other chords. Mm. Playing over changes, as this guitarist I'm sure knows, is one of the uh, uh, true tests of your capabilities. So when you hear jazz guys and they're all over the neck and the chords behind them are changing, 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 and they got to readjust their, what they're doing to every chord. And it can go be very fast and very furious and very complicated. It's one of the most demanding things about performing music is a jazz guy playing over changes. It's, uh, it's, it's tough. When you learn giant steps, you'll, you'll, you'll know that that's a very famous song that is the, 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 the benchmark of that. Uh, so, I could I would play underneath the guitarist, and a lot of times if I'm just playing, and he's soloing, 
it's got to do a lot more to make it interesting. If I go, yeah, yeah, completely. Still playing an E, but completely. there's something moving underneath them and making it sound mm -hmm. better. We'd always say it's a secret note. We go to a guitar player soloing and go to go to another root note. Still in the same key, it works. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But now it sounds like you know because you play uh, you play like like a. Change the note. Yeah. So, suddenly that. Yeah. Suddenly became more interesting because oh wow, it's a, a, a harmony thing to it. So, uh, some guitar players didn't like it because they want there's, there's a whole school of guitars. So hold an E while I solo. And yeah. for me, that isn't a real band. Yeah, it's not a fusion and mesh. Yeah. Thing. Mm. Uh, so I would. Uh, and I play with guys like that. Another woman hold E, I'll hold an E, no problem. Yeah. Uh, if, if that's what's required for the song. Mm. Uh, but moving around a little bit will we'll give it uh, yeah. more. But, and then I started to learn a lot of things, a lot of classical things. And they started to lead themselves to shredding. Like all the... And a little uh, Toccata and Fuga D minor, Brandenburg Concertos. So in my solo that I would do each night, we'd play the song Mr. Big in Talos, incestuous punch that we were. Uh, <laughs> it was a big, long solo that Andy Frazier did was in, in, in the actual song. So we started doing a thing where the guitar player girl would stop and I would just go. Uh, early 70s. Mm. And then they come up, two, three, four. And they come oh, Mr. Big, you better watch me. Come back to the song. Uh, so uh, it was also an opportunity for them to go and have a drink or whatever else they did uh, when they went yeah. out of the park. Yeah, I yeah. Had no idea. I'm not part of that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so they wanted me to continue the solo so they could go back and get it. And it turned into a so I had to fill up five minutes mm. and keep it interesting. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It, it was the key because uh, people are usually on the dance floor when we're playing the song and I stop and do that thing. Now I try to keep them there. Keep, mm. keep them watching. Mm -hmm. if after a while, they start to you know, like go back and go to the bar. I go, it's time to end the solo or get or get more interesting. So <laughs> it kind of forced the issue to come up with something. And I remember in one of my uh, first articles in USA at a major uh, uh, magazine, I think uh, Spotlight a New Talent and, and Guitar Player magazine. I said, uh, you know, my goal is to play, be able to play a solo for thirty minutes and not bore anybody. People say, oh, 30 minutes. And no, no, the, the second part of it is the most important, not bore anybody, mm. non-musicians. Mm. And so it was important to come up with things that were not just shred, shred, shredific or shredderific, mm. uh, but were also interesting and musical. And I do, I, I break once in a while and do a little thing where I play uh, like a, like a... Like a classic song, yeah. Of the Rainbow, Misty, Smile, uh, uh, classic song, little chordal version yeah. of them. So it kind of grew from that. It was never, I, it was never my goal to be like a shredding guy. And my most successful piece of recorded music is "To Be with You," mm. which is no shredding on. 
Yeah. <laughs> very very yeah. proud of that. <laughs> hmm. uh, and uh, so it, it, that wasn't the thing. But uh, unfortunately, that, that reputation kind of precedes you because people come to the show with their iPhone. They, they record mm. the whole show, but they only post my solo. Mm. So everybody's kind of all he ever does is solo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Yeah. It was Didn't a two hour show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, was like, I have to live with that. It's Fantastic. Okay. There's a bit in um, Steve Vai Live at the Astoria where you play Jaboom. And yeah. there's a bit where you kind of have a conversation going with Steve. And there's a bit where you go, doom, 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 doom. <laughs> Purposely. And I just, I love that bit so much because it just yeah, shows that you're not just shredding. Ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Steve, what's going on? Love it. Brilliant. One of my early favorite bass players was Paul Samuel Smith from the Yardbirds. And he did a little bit more accelerated version of things like that, but, mm. but it was real straight up walking stand up yeah. uh, bass parts bass. that he did on yeah, his yeah. Epiphone Revoli. And so mm. I, I learned that from him at a very Great. early age. Right on. This could completely fall flat, but do you believe in the paranormal? I do. Okay. But I have uh, concerns. Okay. Everybody has in their position. Everybody. Come yes. Hundred percent. A camera that's as good as any thirty-five millimeter was back <laughs> in the. Why don't we see an absolutely indisputable photo of a UFO? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or of an alien. Yeah. Or of this. Or of yeah. that. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, I, I believe that there are things that are that are beyond us, but it irks yeah. me that we don't have proof. Now, yeah. there's of course the point of view that there is proof, but they're hiding it because they, we can't yeah. we be able to take it. And I'm not buying that. Yeah, so, yeah. But I I, uh, mm. I I do believe that there is uh, more than we're aware of. Yeah. Why are the best UFO pictures and evidence on 30 year old mobile phones that had like 0.2 megapixel camera exactly. yeah it's interesting isn't it yeah do you plan to come back to the uk to play some gigs at any point well it's never up to me okay. uh we uh we don't choose where we play or yeah. or or when we play it's when we get booked and right now there's not a lot of international travel happening due to the yeah. pandemic uh, of course uh, yeah holdover hopefully that'll end soon yeah. i think the some of the mandates are being ended in the uk soon if i'm not mistaken. yeah that's right that's right yeah so that's a good thing and uh so uh that'll that'll make it easier for people to travel and hopefully by the end of the summer i'll be back playing as much as possible because i i live to play live and i play live to live so the pandemic has been tough for me because yeah, man. i yeah. gotta play i've, I've managed and very thankful i've managed to work hard practice a lot practice mm. and played and wrote and recorded a lot uh so uh all my clients that i recorded for then about th over 300 tracks we've done about six albums for people around the world i'm, I'm in forever indebted to them to yeah. keep, keep me uh, have a reason to keep going and also uh, yeah, yeah. uh to keep me afloat financially is very mm. nice uh but as soon as possible. I love playing in the UK and I love the food in the UK too. People always yeah. say, oh, the food, I, come on. I love it. Shepherd's pie and yeah. Wellington. And I'm a big fan of lamb and, uh, yeah. and the Indian food is spectacular too. So mm, it's good. Yeah. So when you come over to the UK, do you ever find yourself going to a supermarket and buying something called a meal deal? I don't know what that is. So that's comprised of a drink, a sandwich and a side so like a pack of crisps or a chocolate bar oh, 
No, I haven't. Uh, I haven't uh, experienced that, but I do I, love one of the greatest thing to do. And when you go to Japan, do this: go to a supermarket. You are going to okay. blow your mind. Yeah, yeah. At what you see in there. And I remember in the Netherlands, I went to a supermarket as they're rehearsing one time, and unbelievable stuff that you don't see. Yeah, yeah. In Italy too. I just the pasta aisle was about a hundred yards long, both <laughs> both sides, and that was only the packaged pasta, fresh yeah, pasta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I, supermarkets in, in England. I've been, I've been lucky to stay there for extended periods uh, over the years. When I went there with Michael Shanker and then when I rehearsed with UFO back in the yeah. 80s, uh, it was uh, quite great to see. And I, I, I love staying there as an American and as a as British invasion music mm -hmm. was pretty much where it really brought me up as a musician. Yeah. And so it's always been near and dear to me, but also just everything yeah. British. And I, I, yeah. I'll do my when I do a clinic or a, a master class in England, I always do it in my my fake British accent. And, and I did it one time and I said, so with my with, with this British accent, I was wondering what part of England I was imitating because I wouldn't be aware of. I go, so so where does it sound like I'm from with this accent? And they go, America. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't hide it. No, I love that. Um, so the best thing about meal deals in supermarkets in the UK, just for reference, is the price. So they are three English pounds, which is about nice. sort of four, four and a half dollars now. Great. So you get a full meal for that amount of money. And Great. the variety in some of the supermarkets will blow your mind. So I oh, have to wonderful. get you to report back to me and I, I need to know what you have because the people that listen to this, they, they do take that question quite seriously, Billy, honestly. Okay, uh, well, uh, remind me when you send me a message afterward, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. write it down so I have it. I can take a screenshot and remember that. So when I get there, well, I can have that be one of my first priorities. To get. And it's well, called again, what is it called? Meal deal. Meal deal. Yeah, meal deal. Yeah, fantastic. So we're wrapping up now. Thank you so much for your time. I really do genuinely appreciate it. My I can't pleasure. believe that Facebook Messenger has brought us to this stage. <laughs> Crazy world. It is. Do you, do you have any plans for the future? And do you want to give any shout outs to any companies or anything that you want to promote? The floor is yours. Well, we have a new Talos record. Uh, which is amazing. The singer, sadly, he passed away after we finished recording, but we all got in there and hit it and it, we were so pleased with it. Uh, bittersweet to, to lose our singer though. It was a very sad thing, but he, he gave it everything he had. His singing is just amazing on this record. So that'll be out soon. First single is out. You can find it on YouTube, The Intermounting Flame. Uh, another single is coming out soon. And then the full record will be out in a few months. And uh, we're just finishing up a new Winery Dogs record, which I'm very excited about. Mike Portnoy, Richie Costin, and myself. That'll be coming soon. Hopefully we'll be able to get out touring in the fall. I'm not sure if the record will be out in the fall or the beginning of the year after, because everything takes so much longer now with supply chain problems and the pandemic. So the Talos record, we went through hell and high water to get that out at all, yeah. because it was just difficult. But, but yeah, we, yeah. we managed to, and that's coming. And uh, other than that, just, uh, you know, Thanks to, uh, well, Rotosound Strings, our bass in the UK, and uh, that's all I use on all my basses, and they're the greatest strings ever. And yeah. uh, Jason Howe is a dear friend of mine, him and his wife, Kathy. And mm. so I'm, I'm, I'm helping prop up the British economy there by okay. spreading, the, spreading the word according to Rotosound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you've got your own signature set with them, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. A little lighter G string, a little heavier mm. E, and it just balances out nicely. And yeah. it's, uh, 
Every, and all so many great uh, players have uh, used Rotosound. So I, that legacy is built into those strings. Pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, fantastic. Well, Billy, it's been a genuine pleasure. Like I've told you about 16 times now, and I appreciate <laughs> you spending 90 minutes of your life chatting to me. My pleasure. And, um, thanks everyone for listening watching viewing subscribing and keep it bedlam and i can't guarantee that every guest that i get will be as big as this person but i will try my absolute best to make this our year so there we go cheers guys yes. cheers billy wishing you, you all the best thank you so much hello hope you enjoyed that episode just got an ad read from a new sponsor called set surf so set Surf is a small British company passionate about mineral sunscreen and natural skin protection. Our range of sunscreens and creams are designed to protect your skin naturally without harsh chemicals which harm coral reefs and aquatic life. So if anyone knows me in real life they'll know that I'm from a seaside town and one of the most important things when you go to the beach and probably anywhere in the world really to be fair is sun cream. And we all know how much of an absolute disaster it can be when you go to the beach without sun cream. So I want to make sure that people are using the right sun cream and not the rubbish, cheap alternatives from many, many supermarkets. <laughs> I won't call any out. Um, but yeah, this is how Set Surf is different from all that cheap, nasty stuff that will just about get the job done. So it's 100% mineral. We don't use any harsh or weird chemicals to reach SPF 50. They just use zinc oxide and titanium dioxide, which makes them perfect for sensitive skin and all of your kids. It's reef safe because we use no chemicals which harm coral reefs and aquatic life at all. Our sunscreens are genuinely reef safe. They're also non-nano. We use non-nano-sized particles which don't sink into the deeper layers of your skin like you get with some chemical sunscreens. It rubs in virtually clear, so set sunscreen rubs in very well without leaving any chalky marks or residue on your skin, and they are also very, very water-resistant. Lastly, they are packed with good stuff. They contain Kalahari melon oil, argan oil and aloe vera to nourish and moisturize your skin if you shop the range at www.setsurf.com use the code bedlam20 to get 20 percent off any of the products on their website so that's www.setsurf.com and use the code bedlam20 to get 20 percent off of anything on their website right another ad read coming right up See you later. Archie Soul Male Grooming. My main sponsor for Absolute Bedlam Podcast. I have been with Archie Soul since I think April last year. And it's been such a good experience for me to go a bit back and forth with Mark. Um, give him some ideas he gives me some ideas for the podcast in return and it's a really nice relationship that I have with him I'm very very grateful to um, get loads and loads of free samples from him and help grow his uh, company at the same time so it's a nice little natural thing that we're doing I've got some notes here two seconds so Archie Soul men 
was created to bring some of the finest men's grooming products from around the world to the men of the UK. Not male models, not Instagram filters, just the everyday bloke. We do not sell ordinary, we sell outstanding products made by craftsmen who care and these products really do work. Products that will make you feel great at work and at play. Clean and fresh with every use. So archiesoul.com is their website. Free shipping orders over £25. Get free shipping. No quibble, 30 days return guaranteed. All dispatch from the UK and an array of excellent five-star customer reviews on their website for you to have a look at if you want. US-based products, Archie Soul does the rest right here from the UK, let them do the heavy lifting for you. Code Bedlam2022 will get you 20% off your total order, except for leather bags and razors. Some of the products include Duke Cannon, Anthony, Walton Wood Farm, Ace High, Darwin's Grooming, just absolutely incredible products, incredible companies. Just check them out. They're incredible. Like I say, <laughs> I've said it three times. Beard oil, shower gel, deodorant, wallets, beard combs, notepads, leather bags, anything you want for all the males out there to feel a little bit more special. No plastic, no problem. Just a cardboard box for the goodies and environmentally friendly packaging for all of the safe transit. The shipping, like I've mentioned before, is incredible. I order stuff on Tuesday and I get it on Thursday. You can't ask for more than that, really. Uh, their website is on Shopify, so it's got all the latest payment options available. So yeah, look good, feel great. Archie Soul, male grooming. Right, enjoy the episode and see you later. Hello, guys. Got a new ad read for you from a company called Optimus U. Um, so they are a fitness and sportswear company. Um, they are an excellent example of how fitness and sportswear should be achieved. They are going towards the fully sustainable route, which I am well behind planting a tree and all that sort of stuff for every purchase. So I've got this to read out. I've got Optimus U. We are much more than just a sportswear brand. We are a community full of fighters for 100% of the people, absolutely zero discrimination, and only using the very, very best quality in organic, sustainable materials made ethically here in Europe. Whether you're taking your dog for a walk or hitting that new personal best in the gym, let us help you along your journey and letting you become the most optimist version of yourself. Recently got these on board because I think that Luke from Optimus U is a fantastic example of a leader and lockdown has helped him create and develop this amazing brand. Um, and they are incredibly involved, they're incredibly inclusive, like I say, and I cannot recommend them enough. So give them a go at optimusu.co.uk. If you use my code, which is bedlam10, bedlam10, you'll get 10% off your order. And I, I just, I think they're fantastic. Um, they haven't put a foot wrong. Truly, absolutely awesome company. Um, I've recently been given a shirt and hoodie from them and I will be ordering some more stuff from them very, very soon. So shout out to Optimus U. 
Uh, right, back to the episode. Cheers, guys. Bye.